Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dimming the Gaslight, our healing journey from narcissistic abuse. My name is Mac, and as always, I want to welcome you guys back to a very special show. Um, we've got an amazing show planned for you today. I'm really excited that you guys are listening. Um, but before we get started, as always, I want to ask you guys to subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast. Um, as I've mentioned in the past, this podcast is growing. I'm really proud of it, and I'm really proud of all the uh, you know kind of grassroots things that you guys are doing. So, uh, yeah, please share the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Um, also, you can follow me on Instagram at dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Um, and also, if you want to be a guest on this show, you can email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com. Um, our guest today is, I'm really excited about this. So our guest today is the author of Invisible Bruises, How a Better Understanding of Domestic Violence Can Help Survivors Navigate the Legal System. Um, her book is available on Amazon and also on her website. Um, she also has a blog for psychology today called Invisible Bruises, where she touches on a range of topics, um, everywhere from red flags and green flags in a relationship to dealing with forgiveness, following abusive relationships. Um, so you can check out her blog. It's called Invisible Bruises. And lastly, she started Clara's Voice, which is a platform uh, dedicated to the voice for victims of domestic abuse. And that's also her IG handle um, is Clara's voice, two underscores in between Clara's. So I'd like to welcome Katie Gillis to the podcast. Hi, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited today to, to talk about this stuff. I think you have a really good show plan. Yeah. So, um, so I brought Katie on here because she and I have gotten to talking. Um, I've heard a little bit about her story and a recent blog that she did caught my eye. And the name of the blog was, am I the abusive one? Okay. Um, I mentioned in past podcasts, you know, I wanted to do maybe an entire podcast or, you know, I wanted to uh, touch base with um, kind of like a subject matter expert about, am I the abusive one? Am I the narcissist? Because, um, it's definitely something that I can relate to. You know, I've touched on on uh, reactionary abuse in the past, and a lot of people have vocalized that to me about how they feel guilty about some of the things that they've done in the past. So, Katie, can you tell us a little bit about that blog that you started? Yeah. So this blog, it started because so many of my clients and just people I know, you know, the number one question I get from people is, how do I know I'm not the abusive one? Mm -hmm. And that I got that question so many times that I started to say, you know what, I love this question. And the reason why is because it shows that you have a level of self-reflection to even be able to consider that you might have done something wrong in the relationship. Right. Um, because rarely have I ever seen a relationship where both people haven't done anything wrong. I, mm -hmm. I mean, we're humans, human behavior leads us into a situation where, you know, you're inevitably going to affect other people with your behavior, whether it's colleagues, coworkers, you know, friends, relationships, platonic and romantic. So I love that question. It usually lends itself to a very good conversation where we can talk about things like guilt. Do you have any guilt from the ending of the relationship? Do you have have any empathy about other things that maybe the other person is going through at the end of the relationship because a lot of times you know there's a, a breaker upper and a breakup mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and you know and sometimes that can lead people to feel some guilt you know the one who has to do the breaking up or the one who has to move out of the house or the one who has to ask the other person to leave and and I always like to kind of explore that you know do you have any guilt there do you have any you know empathy at the any kind of compassion, kindness, you know, for that situation. And that's usually when I'm assessing for things like people not caring. You know, a lot of times I'll have people say, you know, I feel bad that they had to leave their house. I, I just feel bad that I fell in love with them. Like those are normal reactions. Totally. Right. To that situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, I love how you touched on the fact of like self-reflection, right? Yes. Because when it comes to a narcissist, a narcissist isn't able to self-reflect. Mm -hmm. Right. But the person who's sitting there saying, am I the abusive one? Mm -hmm. Usually like in the experience that I've had in talking with people with narcissistic abuse, what happens is they come and they say, you know, like I, I regret, um, you know, lashing out after weeks yes. and weeks and weeks of abuse. But I said something yes. and they turned me into the person that I didn't want to be. Yes. You know, that's what I'm a saying? common thing I hear is they turn me into the person I did not want to be. That right. sentence right there is common. Yeah. So what mm -hmm. happens is like they give you the abuse. Right. And they're kind of the one who ignites the fire, right? And mm -hmm. then you react and it could be screaming, yelling, swearing, even hitting. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, not, oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not here to condone anything, but nope. then Absolutely. you become reactive to the fight that mm -hmm. they instigate. Um, and now that you've reacted, they flip it on you and kind of give themselves 
like the green light to justify your reaction. Like, Look, this is what you've done. I got See? you. Right. Look at yep. how you treat me. Yeah. Look at so how you're supposed reacting. to like, just take their abuse with a smile. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, like, I think probably the number one thing I hear people say is like, I just snapped. I couldn't take it anymore. You know, that that's a common thing. Uh, probably the number one thing that I hear that people get charged with are things like throwing cell phones, things like if you have a glass in your hand and you mm-hmm. throw it across the room. And kind of like you said, I am in no way condoning this behavior. I'm no right. way saying that that's awesome that you threw the cell phone. I'm in no way saying it's acceptable. I'm in no way saying no. that that was your greatest moment. Right. However, if you can look at that and say, yep, that was not my greatest moment. I reacted immaturely or harshly or wrong mm-hmm. through that glass. That is a huge difference than you know, maliciously trying to harm another person. Sure. And like I said, that, you know, the self-reflection thing is big, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because, you know, I think I mentioned in a, in a prior podcast that, um, you know, I said there was a time when I felt like perhaps I had an anger problem, but now Mm -hmm. being removed from my narcissistic relationship, um, there's not a, a soul on earth probably who would call me angry. Maybe depressed or sad or reflective, but no one's calling me angry. And I, and I've said in past podcasts that perhaps I didn't have a anger problem. I had a narcissist problem, you know? Yeah. Perhaps Um, you were having a normal reaction to an abnormal environment. Yeah. You know, and you and I, when we talked um, offline, I mean, the word uh, reactive is certainly apropos, but the word Mm. abuse is something that you and I both were talking about offline that, um, it's kind of wishy-washy, right? Because you feel mm-hmm. like you, you're you're fighting your way. You feel like you're backed into a corner and then you're kind of fighting your way out. I mean, if you, let's, let's use the, the age old example of the kicking the dog in a cage, which you know, mm-hmm. as an animal lover, I hate that example, but let's yeah. go with that. You know, let's say how many times can you kick a dog before the dog snarls at you and bites you? And then mm-hmm. we blame the dog and we put the dog down because the dog bit you. Right. Now, the thing is, you can only expect a human to act not much better than that. I mean, you, you, you push and push and push and push and a person is going to eventually scream, especially when you're sharing a household. That is something I always want to point out is that, you know, married couples, couples who are together and they're sharing a household, it's a lot harder to get out of the situation. Right. Usually in situations, you know, where you can see the buildup, one, one can leave, they can go back to their old, their apartment, their house, whatever. When you have shared living environment, it's going to, the tension is going to build higher. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I felt, I found too, that um, there's also a long fuse when it comes mm-hmm. to the reactionary abuse. Cause I feel like what happens is there's a buildup, right? Mm-hmm. And um, usually, especially on like the first couple of times, it could be days, weeks, months. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you let that tiger out of the cage, it's harder mm-hmm. to put the tiger back in. And mm-hmm. again, what they want is they want your reaction. They want your, oh, for sure. They want your mm-hmm. emotions. And um, I've, I've actually heard from somebody is the, uh, recently is that they said until they actually did show the feelings, that's when the fight would stop. Hmm. Yeah. You know? Like it's, it's like, like they wanted to see there's sometimes I hear that from people who say that I just wanted to see the reaction. I wanted to see, you know, what I meant to them. I wanted to see, if they cared. And that's kind of like, um, an, an immature, you know, way of, of proving that person's love to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear that a lot from people. Yeah. I, I have a, a few people who I know who've had a situation where they were pushed to the point where then they grabbed a sharp object next to them. You sharp know? object. Yeah. Sometimes it's a knife, something like that. Holy and it crap. was a situation where they were these are situations where they were in a physical abuse situation mm-hmm. and they couldn't defend themselves. And so I, I, I've seen situations like that. And then what happens is inevitably the, when the police are called to a scene, the, the police, they only have the information that's in front of them. Right. And so, you know, as we've seen in like the Gabby Petito in the news, mm-hmm. you know, they showed up, she was crying Yeah, and she was upset and he was sitting there calmly. And then we find out later, you know, that there was a reason why she was so upset and there was a reason why he was so calm. You know, you'll see that a lot with reactionary abuse. You'll see that the, the person is not, who's not calm, you know, the person who's, who's a very escalated, right. who's very upset. And then the other person sitting there calm saying, see, 
I knew they were there. They knew they were crazy and see, they need help. They're yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've talked about that with a couple of people and um, the whole thing with the, the Gabby Patino thing. Um, if there is a silver lining that you can take out of it mm-hmm. um, is that it put it in such the public eye that mm-hmm. um, it made people understand that it's not always the hysterical one Yes. That is the not always the upset off, one. No, it's not mm-hmm. the he's, that's not always the one that's the off balance. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it took that incident to bring it to the public eye. Um, mm-hmm. But now, now I think like everybody had such a visceral reaction to that that now people can relate more to the to the victim and know like there's more going on to the story, right? Oh, for sure, because that, that's one of the things I, I discuss in my book about how you know, the police are called to the scene. Oftentimes, you know, the police are given, you know, an address, okay, a domestic dispute at 123 Main Street. They don't really know who they're walking into. They don't know the gender of the people. They don't know the ages of, you know. And, and so a lot of times the police walk into the situation. And if one person is hysterical, you know, in their view, hysterical, if one person is crying, if one person is inconsolable and the other person is calm, mm-hmm. A lot of times, I mean, the police aren't trained and, and they're having a human response to a situation. I mean, many, many people looking at a situation where one person is calm and one person is very upset, we're predisposed to, to converse with that person who's calm because they're, they're conversable. They're able to have a conversation. And the other one is so upset that we're really not sure what's going on. So that's a lot of, a lot of times what I see. And I think um, from, the, from the police perspective um, is that they can't take anything with a grain of salt you know what i mm-hmm. mean they can't they have to do what's um in the you know even if there's a possibility that you know there is some sort of abuse going on they can't overlook anything they have mm-hmm. to make sure that all bases are covered because mm-hmm. god forbid they walk away and then you know somebody's you know ends up in the hospital or dead or god forbid you know then they don't want that on on their hands and you know mm-hmm. legally because they showed up for the the domestic thing um so how about some solutions? Can we talk about some solutions for reactionary abuse? So the things that I like to talk about for solutions are, and, and I know that this is something that, you know, you and I had discussed about, you know, knowing your triggers, like knowing when you're getting to that point. Right. And, and that is something a lot of people, you know, are saying, how can I, what do you mean know my trigger? Like I'm sharing a bedroom with this person. Like, where am I going to go? The bathroom? Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, Yeah, for real. And that's, yeah. And that's the thing, you know, and then that is why, you know, having these conversations, normalizing these conversations, like normalizing support for, for people, like, like if you call the police, you know, there's to kind of reduce that fear of you being the one to get in trouble or you being the one to, to walk away with some kind of charge just because you called, um, providing resources for people. You know, I've always been a huge advocate of if you send the police out to a domestic violence call, send a counselor, send a social worker. Yeah. I mean, just like if, if you're going to arrest someone for a drug charge, you know, I, I'm not going to do that by myself. I'm not trained in that. That's yeah. not my area. Totally. Totally. We should bring a social worker. They should bring someone who's trained a mental health clinician. Right. And they can recognize they the signs. They're seeing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could recognize the signs. Um, I like what you said about paying attention to triggers. So um, I was thinking about this story and like, um, you know, like we've always heard the story, like um, they push the buttons because they install them, you know, that kind oh, of thing. I, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like um, I, I heard this story recently from somebody who was saying that like um, their name was John. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and their middle name was Paul or something. And then growing up, their parents called him JP. Yes. So the older he got, he wanted to be called John because he thought like JP sounded juvenile. So he, but he couldn't shake that with the people growing up who would call him JP when he was a little kid. So anyway, um, he told his ex this story and whenever she would get mad at him to push his button, she'd be like, okay, JP, okay, JP. And Mm -hmm. it would set him off. And he, and Mm -hmm. you know, like, that's the kind of thing where, um, you know, they push the buttons because they know how to install them. So what I was thinking is, you know, just, I know it's hard. Trust me, I know how hard it is, but like, don't take the bait. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so, so, so easier said than Mm -hmm. done. But I've also, yeah, I've also heard like, um, pay attention, like almost like outsider looking in, you know what I mean? Take it, 
take a look at what is actually happening. What are they actually saying? What are they actually doing? What is their body language? What is their tone? What is all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff? And kind of just observe how the abuse escalates and don't react. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Pay attention to the the words. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and and kind of like you're saying, you know, that's extremely easy to say for someone who can, at the end of the day, leave and go back to their house. When you're, right. when you're sharing a, a house with someone mm-hmm. and you find that they're pushing your buttons like mm-hmm. that provocatively, mm-hmm. because the thing is, as in a partnership, we're going to push each other's buttons. For sure. Part, partners push each other's buttons more than any other person who you know. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge thing when I work with clients and when I work with couples, I say that. I say any, any trauma wound that you bring into this world, any trauma wound that you bring out of childhood into adulthood mm-hmm. is going to be brought out in your relationship. For sure. Um, And so I always say that to people being aware of your triggers, being aware of your traumas, you know, for some people being called JP like that's really going to tick them off. And for some people, they'd be like, it doesn't even bother me, but damn socks on the floor. I mean, we all have our different stuff, you know? Um, And so I always say to people, pay attention to that. If you say to your partner, Hey, really bothers me when you leave your socks on the floor for me to trip over in the morning, or it really bothers me when you call me JP and I've asked Mm -hmm. you not to Mm -hmm. pay attention to that behavior. If, if they work on stopping it or if they stop it, good sign. If they're in a fight saying it again, red flag. Right. Like that's the whole point. Like I know, I know from my um, relationship is that I always try to come to a mutual understanding. No one's trying mm-hmm. to win the argument, right? Yeah, there's no winning. Right. There's not there's yeah. not a winning thing. It's, it's not a competition. Yeah. Right. And and with a narcissist, I mean, that's yeah. nearly impossible, right? Yeah. So um, you know, and that's where removing yourself from the situation comes in because I like I've heard a lot of stories about like um, you know, following well, in my experience, I would get followed around the house um in oh, an argument. That's provocative. Oh God, yeah. And well, yeah. And I, I heard another story about um a guy who was telling me that uh his wife would block the door and he wouldn't be able to leave. And um he took the door, he didn't touch her, but he took the door to get her out of the way. And mm-hmm. he moved her with the door and she called the cops on him for that. And yep. uh yeah, that's a perfect re- example yep. because we as a society, anything physical automatically trumps non-physical. Right. So if you if you throw a cup on the floor, mm-hmm. if you raise your hand, anything like that, it, it doesn't matter what the other person has done. Yeah. We have a very black and white view of domestic violence in our society. And a lot of times the emotional could be way worse than the physical. Oh, for sure. And yeah. in fact, I would argue you usually, usually it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have like any, uh, I don't know, gaslighting stories or anything like that where people, um, you know, maybe haven't turned physical, but, uh, you know, the gaslighting stories are worse than the physical. The biggest thing with gaslighting is, is I tell people, is like, pay attention to like when, when your own reality is being tested. Um, a lot of times when people are getting to the point where they're being made to feel like they've lost their mind, mm-hmm. you know, I think most, you know, human, normal human beha- behavior is to kind of lash out and say, wait a second, I'm like a hamster running in a wheel here. Right. And I'm not getting anywhere. Right. You know, and I want to get off this damn wheel. You know, a lot of times it's a conversation that I have usually with clients they are like, okay, What's your truth? Why? How many times are you questioning it? How many times are you playing detective? You know, because that playing detective over and over and over and over again can get people to get to where they're just like, ah. And it's like, how many times do I have to try and explain it? And it just keeps Mm -hmm. getting rejected over and over and over again to the point where it's like, if you're never going to be understood, like why you keep trying to, to explain it to somebody who's committed to misunderstanding you. Oh, for sure. We, we have this thing in the mental health community and it's, it's basically, you know, when you take psych 101, never do more work than your client. We always say that. Never so do more will, work than your client. Never do more work than your client. That's so if I'm sitting here and I'm doing all the work, you know, and my client, let's say my client's struggling with depression and I'm the one doing all the work of giving the suggestions and, and coming up with the plan and they're not doing anything. Um, that's a sign for therapists, you know, to mm. kind of back off. I put that on to couples when I work with couples or when I work with individuals and I'll say, are you doing more work? Because a partnership, I, I don't ever say a partnership's 50, 50. I say it's 100, 100. There's going to be days where maybe you're 20 
and you're a hundred, mm-hmm. there's going to be days, maybe you're both 50, 50, maybe both get along going on with work. But that's maybe a healthy relationship. Both. That's not, a, that's not a normal relationship with a narcissist. That's oh, a- absolutely. And that's <laughs> why I say like, notice that if you're, if you're doing more work, if you're constantly being like, okay, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe give me 50% back that and say, I, you know, can you meet me halfway? Mm-hmm. If there's no meeting of halfway, if they're not trying to see what you're saying, but you're trying to see what they're saying, you know, the empathy is only going one way. I always say that that, that to me would be a huge red flag. I was going to say that's an enormous red flag. Um, I don't, we haven't talked about this. Do you have any um, experience with like a self-aware narcissist? Have you ever come across one of those or no? Define what you mean by a self, like someone who knows that they have narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic traits. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. There are people out there who, who know, because I mean, it's a personality disorder. Um, we have people, um, like our society right now, like narcissism is a huge buzzword. Right. Um, and it's synonymous with danger and it's not, it's, it's a personality disorder, just like antisocial personality disorder, borderline right. personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder. And there's all kind that we don't, we mm-hmm. don't hear about, um, in extreme cases, narcissism can get to, like sociopathy where you get to like serial killer level, that kind of stuff. Um, Most people with narcissistic traits are average people who come and maybe we mow their lawn. Maybe they mow our lawn. We deal with them every day. Um, They're not out to get us. They, we don't lose sleep over them. They don't lose sleep over us. Yeah, because we're not, we don't have like that relationship where like, you know, like mm-hmm. you just said, like mowing the lawn, right? Like we're not really. It's just like a casual transactional yeah, relationship. Yeah, right, right, right. And most people really aren't out to be malicious. Most people. Um, there are people who have, you know, a personality disorder and they're, they have malicious traits. Mm-hmm. those are the, those are the ones who are i tell people you know that that's where i would worry is when they have the capacity to do harm and not care most people with the traits or with the personality disorder whether it's full-blown personality disorder or not most people aren't out there trying to do harm most people are just trying to like go to work get their groceries go home go to bed right but yeah, the I'm only just- difference is they just don't have the empathy that you and i have right i'm just thinking about it because you were saying like you know um in terms of like mediation and, and coming to a common understanding. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I was just trying to think about how a narcissist would come to a common understanding with somebody um, when they're so committed to their personal agenda. The hard thing is coming to a common understanding is that's a hard one. I always use the example of like, if I, if I hold up a jar, mm-hmm. you know, or if I, if I hold up an object basically what you're asking someone with narcissist personality disorder to do is to believe you that you're seeing this side of the jar, you know, cause they're not going to mm. see it. It's a different, per- it just comes down to really perspective there. And they, and the thing is we don't know what we don't know. I've always loved that. Mm-hmm. We don't know what we don't know. So if you can't, if you have someone who doesn't have empathy, they, it's not like we have empathy and then we lose it they haven't had that developed. And so you're not going to convince them that they don't have it. There are people out there. You can find forums and everything of people who know, Hey, I just don't have it. Whether I wasn't born with it, whether it's due to trauma, yada, yada, but it, 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 there are people out there and they're aware of it, but most of those people are just average people not looking to do harm on another person. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, So I'm thinking about how you're saying, you know, like the jar analogy, but like Mm -hmm. in my experience and and a lot of experiences that I've heard from is like, you could say the sky is blue and they'll just go out of their way to disagree with you. And they'll say, no, for sure. It's orange. You know, and you're like, what? The sky has never been orange. No, it is. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's like asking someone who's colorblind, what color is the stop sign? Yeah. They they just, you know, we're going to have to both disagree that it's red, Right. you know, and they're like, okay, I'm going to agree it's red, but you know, deep down inside, they don't really believe you. They yeah. don't really believe it's red. Well, and it's that same kind of thing. So going back to reactions, right? Or, or mm-hmm. more so solutions, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is knowing how to react because, you know, from so many from so many places, like I've always heard to like pause and walk away and kind of like construct your thinking or like construct your response, especially in my position, because I'm going through a divorce right now. I found that brevity is such a key to not losing your mind. I had an experience. Um, so I took the kids to the, to a movie theater 
and yeah. uh, we got a big bowl of popcorn. Yum. And uh, so whatever happened, I don't know, got a big bowl of popcorn, went to the movies, had a great time at the movie theater. And then I dropped the kids back off at home and you I get, get a message. Text. Yeah. And I get this message and it said, you don't have to respond. This is what my narcissist says. It says, you don't have to respond, but whatever the kids had to eat today gave them diarrhea. Mm. Yeah, I wish you, I wish the listeners could see me right now. I just shook my hands. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, like leave me alone. And, and it's a stupid, but like, she's clearly looking for a reaction out of me because she's mm-hmm. trying, she wants, you know, if you read in between the lines, like she's trying to say like, um, it's some, it's like a commentary on like their safety or my parenting or, or whatever it is, but going mm-hmm. back to brevity, I just responded. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. And that's, that's what I would actually recommend. I mean, I, I actually, I have a, a set of techniques that I discuss in my book and my blog and with clients and I call them NEB techniques and, and what is NEB? NEB stands, it's N-E-B. So it's right. necessary, emotionless and brief. And Ooh, I like that. You, yeah. Whenever you have to communicate with someone, whether it be a colleague, whether it be a friend, a neighbor, a family member, an ex- yeah. Um, who is capable of any kind of manipulation, who's capable of any kind of like toxic dynamic, anything that you feel like you're going to get sucked in. Yeah. Um, especially if you worry that your words will be twisted and used against you. Uh-huh. I would say NEB, it necessary. Is this conversation necessary? Um, you, in, in your situation, the mother of your child texting you, is it necessary? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But it's about your children. Yeah. Um, my neighbor texting me because my grass is too long. Is that necessary to respond? No. No. Um, Emotionless. Perfect. Like, okay, Mm. thank you for providing me this information. Thank you for updating me. That's it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Emotionless. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people, act like you're talking to, I mean, like the CEO of your company, act like this information right here, this text, text chain, email chain, act like it is about to be posted on social media be mm. professional, be like, thank you for giving me this information. That's it. Don't yeah. get into the, well, you told me that she said that absolutely. No, no. That's because then you're sucked in and then it's a tug of war. That's really good advice because I mean, I'm, and I'm taking this personally, so <laughs> I know it's about me, but like, We've it's so all funny. been there. If anybody, yeah. Cause if anybody, <laughs> yeah, um, so I have that, uh, as some of us do who are listening to this, I have that Our Family Wizard app. And yes, yes, um, it that. always pops up on my phone and yes. it says, I get a message from my narc. And I immediately <laughs> have this internal that like gut wrench. Like, yeah. And it could be nothing. It could be like, um, you know, yeah. I paid for the kids baseball tournament or whatever, but I'm like, oh God. And like immediate, so whatever she says, I already want to have this emotional response. So when you're mm-hmm. saying, you know, with your, with your neb technique, I like that. It, it, it takes it um, a step farther than gray rocking. Cause I was never yes, good at gray rocking. I was never it good does. at it because I'm an emotional person, you know, in cases of communication, you know, going through a divorce, going through the ending of a relationship. That's what I recommend is emotion necessary. Is this conversation necessary? Do I have to, if the person says, you know, you're a POS because you da da da. Is that necessary mm-hmm. to respond? No, no. It's got to be very like transactional, very like very. business. And, you know what yeah. I mean? And unfortunately, it's I mean, going like, to escalate them. Yeah, especially yeah. in my circumstance, like it's it's all about kids and finances. And well, finances yeah. can be you know transactional and business like, but you don't want to think of your kids from a business aspect. But it is. It's, mm-hmm. That's that's what the relationship that she and I share now has become which mm-hmm. is actually better off. Mm-hmm. And oh, uh, sure. so, okay. So necessary. And that app I recommend too for, yeah. for parents. Yeah. It's, but I'll tell you, um, it's tough not to act emotionally. You know, I try and act factually. I'll give you another example. Um, she tried to tell me, she t- so the kids took a at-home COVID test and mm-hmm. the, the at-home COVID test came out positive for COVID. Oh, then- gosh. She went to take them for um, the rapid test and the rapid test came out negative. And then they were waiting for the PCR tests and the PCR test came out negative. So the kids tested negative and they were told mm-hmm. to quarantine, which is fine. They, you know, mm-hmm. better safe than sorry. Right. But um, yeah. she was telling the kids that they had COVID and mm-hmm. I was telling them 
you factually don't have COVID. So when it comes to emotionless, um, it was kind of a little emotionality mixed into it because I said, I I said, I said on the app, I said, is there, is there a reason that you're trying to tell the kids that they have COVID when they factually did not? And I know that that kind of sounds emotional, but also I just want it documented with the court that she's telling them that they had COVID when they didn't. No, I mean, and I, and I always give this disclaimer. I say, look, I, I don't have kids and I've never been married. And so mm-hmm. it is like, it is easy for me to sit here and say, this is how you communicate with your ex-partner. Mm-hmm. And this is how you communicate about your kids. This is purely about, you know, th- these are Trump techniques that have worked for many clients, but I will always, always give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, how are you going to tell someone not to react emotional about their children? Yeah. How are you going to react? You tell people not to react emotional about, you know, something that's personal. Mm-hmm. No, no, that is a no. This yeah. is said than done when it's, you know, the normal day to day crap of like, oh, you, you know, you you left this pair of shoes here from 1989. Do you want them? <laughs> Don't respond. You know? Right. Yeah. I'm exactly. Just trying to bait you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why uh, going no contact is so important, but yeah, I mean, like, listen again, it's, it's very transactional. And then the brevity thing, I love the brevity um, part of your (laughs) neb technique. Yes. Yes. Because, because the thing is the more I tell people, if you can fit it into a sentence, fit it into a sentence. And I don't mean a run on sentence where you should have commas and periods and you don't like, so some people text on social media and stuff like that. I mean, like, a sentence, five to mm-hmm. 10 words. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that we need to say where we need to put 30, 40, hundred words, you, you know, and, and if there is another technique that I tell people is to sit on it. And again, this is easier said than done when, mm-hmm. when children are involved, that's a whole different element. This is really when you're dealing with something that there's, you know, it's not it doesn't need to be time stamped. It's not time sensitive. You know, someone is respond giving you an, an email and you have a response, mm-hmm. sit on it for four hours, sit mm-hmm. on it for six hours. You know, if you're worried, you're going to forget, which you won't. If you're worried, you're going to forget, write a sticky, set a reminder on your phone, don't respond. Because if we respond in the moment, we're more likely to fight back with fire. Yeah. Remember like when we were in school and you used to like how to write it like a 5,000 word essay or something like that. This is the exact opposite of that. This is the opposite. This is like when your like, teacher's like, be concise. Yeah, exactly. Like how many, how many words can I count? If I, can I get this in in 10 words or less? Yes. Or like, like the old tweets where it's like 120 characters. Yeah, that was great. I tell people it's like a tweet, 120 characters. Like, yes, I will be there at five to pick up the mail. Mm-hmm. Boom. Boom. You don't right? need to get into like, you know, how ugly their shirt is and yeah. why they don't like your mom. No. <laughs> I have a, I have a buddy um, who does another podcast and uh, the name of his pa- podcast is called surviving the covert narcissist. Yes. Anybody wants to check it out. Um, my buddy, Phil and Phil had a great story. Funny as could be where, and I'm paraphrasing here, so don't quote me on this, but it was something along the lines where um, his next wrote something like, the kids came home malnourished and unshaven and dirty or something like that. And he read, he's like, he read it and he like wrote back and he goes, um, we ordered a pizza and they took a shower. Don't make a bigger deal out of this than it is. And I love that story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like, Mm -hmm. because what can you possibly come back with after that? Mm -hmm. So keep it brief. And that's the thing I always tell people, like when you get to that point where you can send that response and it doesn't keep you up at night and you're not sitting there being like, oh, should I said this? Is she going to be mad? Are they going to, when you get to that, that's a period of growth. When you get to where you can just say something as if, as if you're responding to a neighbor or someone who, you know, there's no emotional investment. That's good. I think that's what we all strive to do when it comes to our narcissist, you know, or our passes. We, we want to, I don't even want to hate them. I don't want to love them. I don't want those ruminations. I literally want to nothing them. No, you you don't want to get to the point of hate because that's equal to, to where you were in the beginning. That's equal to the emotional reaction of love because what you want is you get to the point of neutrality. Yeah. Hate, hate, you're still having an emotional reaction. Yeah. Ooh, it's when like you get that. to the point of neutrality, like, you know, Katie, that was poignant. I like, <laughs> you know, when you get to that point where you just look at them, like they're just, you know, a random Joe Schmo telling lies about you. And you're like, that's nice. That's a point of growth. I tell people, like I tell my clients, that's when, you know, mm-hmm. you're getting to a good space. 
Anything else that you could, you know, when you, you know, is there any other good benchmarks in terms of, um, you know, progress from recovering from narcissistic abuse? Yes. Yes. When you get to the point where you're no longer fearing, what are they going to do next? Because that mm. is like a very common, you know, universal experience from people who survive psychological abuse is the constant, you know, what are they going to do? Who are they going to say? Are they going to go to my boss? Are they going to go to my licensing board? Are they going to, you know, tell my friends, you know, this secret, um, yeah. you know, it's so common because that's what they do is that part of their smear campaign, you know, is mm. any secret you've ever had, which who is in a relationship for, you know, two, three, four, five, ten 10 years and doesn't tell secrets. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's in itself another issue, you know? So, it is inevitable that people in a romantic relationship for more than a couple of months are going to have secrets and vulnerabilities of the other person. Yeah. And so what separates, you know, the average person in a breakup versus someone with personality disorder, someone who's capable of psychological abuse is those people are going to go and spread that. If you have any history of, you know, of, of family dysfunction, like me, all of us, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, the I don't know if you heard about my upbringing, but it was real. I, I was you know, listening to your story and I was like, well, I can relate. It's real. Um, it's real little house on yeah. the prairie as far as my upbringing. <laughs> it's very like, I always tell people when you get to that point where you're no longer fearing, what are they going to say about me? What, what, what lie are they going to spread? Um, what damage are they going to do to my career? When you get to that point where you just can kind of be like, oh, yep, there they are doing yeah. the thing they do. Yeah, I've, I've said like the, the the smear campaign, personally speaking for me, like mm-hmm. I said, I've said in past podcasts, like I might never see the people again that they tell the smear campaign to, but I can certainly empathize with the people who have gone through really oh, yeah. wretched, ugly things. I think that's um, the worst. I think what they try and do is I think they they want to get ahead of you exposing them or like they want to discredit you. So if therefore, if there's any, if there's anything that they've done, sometimes it's embarrassment from the relationship ending. Sometimes it's you expose them as being abusive or you expose them and, and they want to discredit you. Um, Sometimes it's payback. Sometimes it's just a pure malicious payback and retaliation for sometimes it's a narcissistic injury where you oh, did oh yeah for sure you, know, you did lost kinda, their supply yeah you've exposed them or something like yeah. that for sure yeah they've lost their supply and so they're going to discredit you and bring you down and they'll stop at nothing scary mm-hmm, it is extremely yeah that's worse that's when i always say it's worse than the physical abuse because if you are out to to really destroy a human being, their livelihood, their family, their social circle. That is, that is worse to me than, than I'm not going to say all physical abuse absolutely would never say that, but Mm -hmm. that's worse to me than things like throwing a cup, things like throwing your phone. I mean, yeah. A moment reaction of punching holes in walls and intimidating and yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that that behavior is ever okay. I mean, if that's going on, seek help and, and figure out what it is that's bringing that out in you. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge difference between a momentary lapse in judgment versus staying up all night concocting ways to really destroy a person. That just yeah. shows the difference between sociopathy and then just normal bad behavior that we all are capable of at different times and different degrees. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, the the self-reflection thing is so big for mm-hmm. me because you Huge. know yeah like you sit back and you go like um you know like I didn't like the person I became or you know I would never say that under normal circumstances you know like I've mm-hmm. said I, you know I even would say like oh I called my my wife uh you know a bad mom or something like that and like mm-hmm. fuck I would never say that to anybody I know like, and know. you know or um you know the fact it, that you're able to sit there and say oh man yeah, right. That was a shitty moment. Like the fact that you're able to say that mm-hmm. tells me, okay, you know, that yeah. you're capable of reflecting on that. Yeah. And they that you know it was wrong. Yeah. And that's the difference between someone who's capable of psychological abuse and someone who's not, is that they don't think there's anything wrong with their actions. That to them, that's the same thing as, oh, I just tossed this envelope on the floor. <laughs> I saw, <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of envelopes, my, uh, my lawyer was telling me about this story about like somebody threw an envelope or something like a manila folder at, yes. at their um, yes. abuser or something like that and got like a restraining order because of they threw a manila envelope. Yep. Yeah. There's so many. And that's, crazy that's, that's our there. society. We, that's how we view domestic violence is so black and white. If it's at all 
on the physical side, anything like, I mean, throwing, throwing an envelope. And of course I'm not a legal expert. So I'm trying, I'm trying to remember what it's called, but there's a term for it. It's, it's not assault, but it's something like that. Um, but that is a, that is so common. Like the throwing the smashing of a phone, throwing an envelope, throwing like an object, like a pen. And then mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that you've just gone through seven hours or seven days or seven months, seven years of turmoil. You threw that pen. So you're going in. And then you got $10,000 worth of legal fees trying to fight some ridiculous restraining order. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take me down yeah. a bad path. Yeah. I see that a lot with men. Like a lot, a lot of my like male clients or a lot of men I know who have been through domestic violence. It's, it, they seem to be the ones that get picked up for the physical side mm-hmm. and the stuff that women do. And I, I definitely wrote a blog about this a few weeks ago and it was, it took off. Um, I had people reaching out to me and, and saying, yes, you know, this is, this is what happens. Like the women, women are usually more capable of the psychological parts of abuse, like, you know, the, the stalking and the things like, of revenge seeking and that kind of stuff smear campaigns are bigger with women yeah i would think yeah. I, I would mm-hmm. think um hmm. why is yeah. there a reason for that yeah it's because of how how we're socialized um because you know everything comes everything with gender comes down to socialization you know okay um you know and, and that's i mean that's a podcast for another day but <laughs> um everything with with gender comes down to socialization and women are conditioned we're conditioned to to use our words mm-hmm. um but, you know, a lot of times what I see is with, with men that they're conditioned to use their hands. But a lot of times it's the things like, you know, the, the conniving, you know, um, you'll see it even in, in jail populations. You know, you'll see women go against each other and scheme against each other and that kind of stuff. It's a dominance um, thing, right? Yeah, it's like a lot of like, you know, stalking is a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would say that it's stalking is hugely underreported with women mm. um smear campaigns i see more with women now other clinicians might have different experiences but i it's because women are detectives <laughs> huh in my experience women are such detectives That's, when it comes to like yeah. you know stalking he said this thing seven and, years ago on july 5th yeah <laughs> I i'm gonna tell everyone about it yeah i posted that on instagram is like uh something like oh i never delete a text message because if i ever want to go back to april 3rd 1892 i still have that text message yeah that's how in my experience my ex was yeah yep yeah 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 we, yeah, we do that yeah <laughs> but um you're good we, at it. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think part of it is like how we're conditioned we're, we're conditioned to to have to to protect ourselves that way and so you know with every strength becomes a you know, something that can be used as a manipulation and as a power. Mm-hmm. And so if we, you know, if our brains are programmed or conditioned to be able to remember what you said in April of 1888, <laughs> you know, then we're going to use that, you know, that is more likely to be used as a manipulation if right. that's something that they need. Well, and a narcissist is always going to hold on to that because they'll, they'll never forget anything so they can use it against you. Even if, and that's the, or that twisted was always- against you. I'm sorry. Or twisted against you. Oh, for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and that was always the thing for me is like, um, you know, I've had arguments um, with my ex where like, like she would say, um, you know, you called me an asshole. Right. And I'd be Mm -hmm. like, no, I didn't call you an asshole. I never called you an asshole. And then she'd be like, no, I heard you call me. And I'm like, and then she would keep saying it and be like, okay, you are, you're acting like an asshole. And then she'd go, see, gotcha. Like something like that. You gotcha. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your your words get twisted. It's, they'll take an element of the truth and embellish it into something or completely twist it in a way that really damages. Uh, that's happened to me so many times. I always say like, they tell like the, the, the start of the story and the end of the story Yes, might have then, something to do with what actually happened. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 the middle, you know, is always like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially but if you were like there like enough it. of a, it's like enough of a plausible story. It's like enough logic. That somebody else would believe it, even if you were there and you know that, that didn't I'm, happen, but somebody else yeah. would believe it. Yeah. That an objective person is like, okay, may, maybe he did do that. I know. You know, and, and ultimately, and I always have this conversation with clients, like ultimately people are not going to get involved. Like people don't care. Like, you know, I always have clients say, oh, well, sh- should I go and expose them? Should I go and tell everyone? No. Um, because they're going to, you know, try to get me fired they're going to try to do this and i'm and i'm always like no because you're you you run the risk of looking like the dysfunctional one Mm -hmm. and ultimately people don't care you know people are not going to sit there and be like oh well 
you know, he warned me that she was going to tell lies. Maybe this is the lie. People are just going about their day. You know, I've always, I remember being little and, and I remember people, maybe it was my parents or I'm not sure, but always people always saying, don't talk about religion, politics, and don't get involved in other people's relationships. You know? Yeah. I, people really don't want to get involved, especially if it's something where there's a lot of conflict, mm-hmm. you know, in situations, you know, pe- people don't want to get involved because then they're like, I don't want this person to turn on me. Right. Right, exactly. They yeah. be their next target. Yeah, unless they're a flying monkey. Yeah, and that's what ends up is they end up being the flying monkey because they end up they and they end up really falling for it. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, mm-hmm. listen, Katie, we're coming to the end of the hour. Um, so I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we head out? So to kind of piggyback on you, you just mentioned flying monkeys. I always tell people, and I feel like all of us can use this. Mm-hmm. I always tell people say, consider that you might be a flying monkey. Like mm. consider it, you know, just think about it. If there's someone who's telling you something about another person and it, if it sounds far-fetched or if it sounds like something they wouldn't do, or if it sounds like something maybe they would do, but maybe it's embellished, just, just kind of think like, okay, am I, am I furthering the abuse by taking part in this conversation? Mm. You know, it's kind of like posts like on information on Facebook where we, you know, someone can post information that's wrong and then 4,000 people have shared it. Yeah. You know, not I saying wish- just fact check, but just don't. I wish the listener could see me right now because as you're talking, my eyes got real big and I was looking from side to side and going, Oh, I didn't even think about that. You know, Mm -hmm. when I think, am I the narcissist? I can come to the conclusion because of self-reflection that I'm not, but then I go, wait, have I been a flying monkey? And I'm looking around, my eyes got real big and I go, Mm -hmm. "Hmm." I think we probably all have been in our lifetime. Maybe I'd like to think that I stay out of the gossip or, um, you know, I'd like to think personally Mm -hmm. that I, I stay out of that, but I, I definitely have seen experiences where, um, you know, they just kind of fall you know it's like that if a friend jumped off a bridge would you jump too type of thing and i've seen mm-hmm. the people just blindly follow things mm-hmm. because of you know a past history that they might have with a narcissist that it's mm-hmm. not even a plausible story but you're just sticking with this person based upon history you know usually and what ends up happening is when they can no longer abuse you they'll abuse you by proxy well sure and so like and this is you see this all the time with the cases of restraining orders like they can no longer pick up the phone and call you they can no longer walk up to your front porch but their employees their co-workers mm. their friends they can drive by mm. they can follow you on social media mm. they can walk up to you in the middle of a restaurant you'll see yeah. that a lot they'll abuse you by proxy and so i always saw people all of us you know if someone's asking you hey just drive by this house and look at it and tell me what you see question question it consider the source why am i being asked to drive by this house why am i being asked to to follow this man and his children into the movies for example and 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 see if they really went to them why am i being why am i being asked to be a part of this yeah Mm -hmm. and then and i could see that i i could see that um coming to fruition like if you were um trying to if you were asking maybe a friend or something to follow maybe somebody who might be cheating you know yeah so the last thing i'd like to say is i just like to remind all people because this is something i get all the time from people Mm -hmm. um you know i did this thing that was wrong i said this thing i was mean i feel guilty about it am i a narcissist am Mm i um abusive and i always say people like look there's a difference between being a jerk and a narcissist there's a difference between being an arrogant asshole quite frankly and mm-hmm. a narcissist i mean mm-hmm. you can you can be arrogant you can be a jerk you can set a boundary and it does not mean that you are abusive or capable of abuse it does not mean that you are a narcissist and we have this thing in our society where you know everyone's ex is a narcissist and so i always say to people hold on wait a second you can act as a jerk and you can act as someone who is acting in their own best interest without being someone with a personality disorder. Right. Yeah. I think what ends up happening is, you know, I've, I've had that experience where like, I'll know that what I'm doing probably isn't the most healthy reaction to what's Mm -hmm. happening. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, it's coming from, again, a place of reaction. It's coming from a place of trying to, what I would have thought was the common ground in a relationship of a mutual understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just get so fed up with being 
deliberately mm-hmm. misunderstood that mm-hmm. yeah you come off like an arrogant prick like you're saying yeah exactly and then, and then next thing you know you're like you know you're, again, you're accused of being the abusive one and it's like no 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 maybe you said something that was that was arrogant or a lot arrogant yeah. maybe looking back you're like that was probably one of my top five not best not best moments uh, yeah. that that was that was bad here's here's something i'll i'll admit that i said uh when we would fight i would say if you want to leave you can leave and go be somebody else's problem and that's mean, yeah. right? That's, that's a common thing. And, and yeah, that's mean. The However, shit thing to say. you can't just take one clip, you know, one mean thing one person said and say, oh yeah, mm-hmm. the person's abusive. And you right. can even say an abusive thing. And I talk about this in my book and I talk about this in my blog. You can say an abusive thing. You can be capable of an abusive act. And it doesn't mean that you are quote unquote the abusive one mm. or an abusive person. It all comes down to like, is, you know, what was the intent? What was the aftermath? How many times has it happened? You know, we are all capable of okay, occasional bad behavior or occasion, occasional. Right. You know, it, not everything's so black and white. There's shades. It's of gray. not, it is yeah. not. There's shades of gray mm-hmm. um, for sure. All right. Well, Katie, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank today. You. I think we all really learned a lot. Um, I really, really appreciate, you know, having this conversation with you. Um, again, guys, if you want to check out her book, it is available on Amazon. The name of the book is called Invisible Bruises, How a Better Understanding of Domestic Violence Can Help Survivors Navigate the Legal System. Um, and you can also get it on her website. And Katie says, if you do buy the book from her website, she will sign a uh, yep. copy and send it to yep. you. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you can follow her uh, blog on Psychology Today. It's called Invisible Bruises. Um, and she's also on Instagram at Clara's voice. And uh, I also wanted to say, I've had a bunch of people reach out and say, Hey, I don't have a safe place for you to send the book. Um, mm. I do have an ebook okay. uh, for that reason, because a lot of people like they don't want it sent to their house. And then another thing too, if you cannot afford the book, please reach out to me. I don't want people to ever be without support because they cannot afford it. That's awesome. I really like that. Okay. Well, again, Katie, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for tuning in to another episode and uh, we will see you next time.